Welcome back to another episode of the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 109. This episode is with sports psychologist Dan Abrahams. Dan came on to talk about some common traits he sees in high performers. He also spoke about incorporating psychology into our coaching practice. Um, We spoke about something we touched on with Damien Huge, which was setting the, the correct tone and the intended tone we want of a session. We also spoke about dealing with failure. So dealing with failure from a player's perspective and what we can do to support the player, but also from a coach perspective. And I talked about coaches losing their jobs and how we can deal with that and and some um, things we can factor into our mindset and the way we think about things. So this was a really, really interesting episode because it was something very different to what we've done before. Um, We've not focused too much on psychology specifically, even though we have in other episodes um, to a certain degree, but it was great to get Dan on. Dan's obviously someone that's worked at the highest level of sport with numerous athletes, so it was great to get his experience and his knowledge on the podcast as well. And go and check out his podcast as well. So he's got his podcast on iTunes, which is the Sports Psych Show. And I I mentioned in the episode, I listened to um, one of the recent episodes he did with Joe Dixon, which is a really top episode. So I recommend that you go and listen to his podcast as well. And a big thank you to Dan for giving up his time and coming on the podcast. I know he's very busy, um, but he was he was kind enough to give an hour um, and talk through all the things he did. Very open with what he spoke about as well. So a big thank you to him. And big thank you as always to everyone for listening. I really appreciate all your listens and all your shares. We're constantly getting people tagging us in on social media and sharing some of your biggest takeaways, which is what I asked for on some recent episodes. So a huge thank you for doing that. And please keep it going. And also reach out if you've got any feedback on the podcast, um, any areas you'd like to hear us talk about or get guests on to uh, talk about, any specific guests you can think of as well. Um, it'll be great to hear from you. So you can either hit us up on social media. We are at Football Fit Fed. Or you can drop us an email, mail at footballfitfed.com. So yeah, huge thank you for all your support. And um, yeah, I hope you enjoy episode 109 with Dan Abrahams. Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 109. And I'm delighted today to be joined by Dan Abrahams. Dan, thank you, thank you very much for coming on. No problem, Ben. Really uh, honoured and delighted to be joining you today. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Yeah, I'm great. Um, it's great to have you on because obviously you, you're a sports psychologist. I'm sure a lot yeah. of people have um, seen your work or follow you online. Um, and I'm sure a lot of people, you're a fellow podcast host as well, the Sports Psych Show, um, yep. which I've listened to a good few episodes on there now. So I'm sure a lot of people have as well. But do you want to give us a little bit of background, mate? Just take us into some of the, the people you've worked with and some of the work you've done so far. Well, thank you, mate. And it's, and it's good to meet my one podcast listener as well. I mean, <laughs> awesome. That's, that's, it's good to I owe you a beer, basically, at some point. Um, no, I um, uh, look, a brief potted biography uh, without boring everybody. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a former pro golfer. Uh, and I always have a little bit of fun around that by saying I was uh, I failed miserably as a pro golfer, which I suppose to a degree I did in terms of trying to get to world number one, which I wanted to do. I think world number 20,000 was about the highest I got. Um, so I, I then coached golf 
I did all my coaching qualifications, coached the game. And as I was coaching the game, I'd, I'd always been really interested in the mental side of golf, which is quite an accessible sport for, for the mental side is quite accessible within golf. Um, and so I got into it as a player and then my interest furthered as a, as a golf coach. And as I was coaching, I went to university, did a degree in psychology, a master's in sports psychology. And about 15 years ago, I kind of came to a bit of a crossroads and was like, well, I'm going to carry on. Am I going to carry on being a golf coach? and have the qualifications on the side or am I going to be a full-time sports psychologist so I chose the latter and for the last 15 years I've worked across all sports um, I've worked I, I suppose predominantly in football uh, and golf because obviously I know golf like the back of my hand um, I was lead psychologist for England golf between 2013 and 16 I was lead psychologist for England rugby working with Eddie Jones and his staff between 2017 2018 and in terms of football I've worked uh, with a number of Premier League clubs uh, over the years um, oh Fulham Crystal Palace West Ham um uh, uh, Derby County, FC Bournemouth, there's others that I can't think of and some I've had confidentiality agreements with and worked with a number of, uh, of players globally. Um, I've written four books, three of them football, soccer and one of them golf. Um, I run my own sports psychology podcast and yeah, I'm just, uh, I'm a bit of a shameless marketer on Twitter and LinkedIn and Facebook and that jazz. So um, if anybody's read my work, it's because uh, I, I put myself out there a bit um, and that's me. Awesome. Awesome. I could be selfish and take a big chunk of the podcast and start getting some golf tips because I'm, I'm in desperate need, but I'll say, don't I'll get say golf that tips for another from me. time. Don't, you don't want golf. <laughs> trust me. You don't want golf tips from me. I can assure you. <laughs> Neither from anyone right now, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> but let's, um, let's dive in, mate. Cause I think it'd be great to get your perspective on a few different areas and especially, um, obviously a lot of our listeners are sports scientists, strength and strength conditioning coaches working at anything from academy, well, anything from sort of academy or amateur, semi-professional, right up to first team level. So I was going to ask you to start with, so some of the, some of the high performers or the, or the top athletes that you've worked with or top players, what are some common traits you see amongst them? Hey, that's a really interesting question. And I, and I think I suppose traditional motivational guru type psychology would, would, condense it into uh, sort of unitary traits um, I'm a little bit more into I mean I, I think absolutely we can look at various characteristics and it's likely that high achievers high achievers in inverted commas um, um, would orientate themselves to particular types of traits like disciplined and focused and confident uh, and um competitive and all those kind of things i mean I, I, and i'm not saying that they're not important but i think uh you know almost like my first piece of advice today or the first thing to potentially consider is uh traits characteristics are quite complex and for every characteristic a footballer a, a sports competitor has um if you call it a character trait that's a strength it can also be a hindrance it can also be a weakness so <clears throat> for every sports for every sports competitor or footballer this is well i'm really 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 competitive and they'd probably put their number one i'm competitive actually sometimes that competitiveness gets in the way and that's worth noting uh for every competitor that says um 
I'm I'm confident. Sometimes perhaps they're they're overly confident, and sometimes maybe they need to, for example, engage in critical thinking about their game. Perhaps sometimes they're a bit too confident and they don't explore uh, weaknesses or things that they need to improve. Uh, perhaps you might get a competitor who says, oh, I'm persistent. I'm really persistent. Um, but sometimes persistence isn't useful. And actually, we're better off stopping on a certain path and going down, a, uh, uh, seeking alternatives or going down another path. So uh, perhaps this is a slightly different way to answer your question. And I apologize if I've thrown you a slight curveball. But I think that um, if, if we look at personality theory, and obviously the, the leading personality theory is the uh, five factor theory. So what we what we pretty much know now, knowing is a strong word here in psychology, but what we could pretty much safely and strongly hypothesize is that the top five traits human beings have um, on continuums uh, is openness, neuroticism, conscientiousness, um, agreeableness, um, and extroversion, extroversion, introversion. Um, and what we know is that what we what we could probably safely say is that champions are champions because they're quite, say, high conscientious. You know, they're quite orderly. They're very industrious. They tend to be quite industrious. It's very difficult to be a champion if you're not industrious, if you're not, if you haven't got a work ethic, if you're not hardworking, if you're not, if you're not high conscientious. But quite often what you find as a psychologist is actually you're trying to quite often help a player turn down their volume of conscientiousness. You're trying to actually help them manage their work ethic. You're trying to help them quite often come away from their sport and actually try to help them have multiple identities rather than the single identity of I'm a golfer, you know, I'm Dan, I'm a golfer, I'm John, I'm a footballer, etc. So, so you're actually trying to turn down the volume of, of conscientiousness. Um, maybe sometimes you're trying to turn up the volume of neuroticism, so put a negative emotion. So you, maybe you're trying to help them be a bit more critical thinking. So hopefully I'm not confusing everybody, but it's really not as simple as saying, well, here are these traits, here are these characteristics, and we must slot everybody into these characteristics i would i would always say to sports scientists and and strength and conditioning coaches i i, I mean i think strength and conditioning coaches and, and sports scientists are in a wonderful position to be they are psychologists anyway you do you do psychology within your role right um so to be in my humble opinion to be better at delivering on psychology it's not saying you must have these characteristics it's actually having conversations around maybe what characteristics does somebody have and what what about these characteristics help them and what about these characteristics hinder them and starting to have better conversations around what helps and what hinders them and how you're going to help them manage those traits those characteristics does that make sense? Yeah, hundred percent. No, definitely, and and that relates really nicely to a coach as well, doesn't it? Like we're talking there about players, but if we relate it to coaches, like we said, sports scientists, S coaches, like everything that you just said, just relates perfectly to a coach as well. Being critical about the their practice or their performance, like it, it's all relatable, isn't it? 
Well, absolutely. And, you know, as you're speaking now, I'm thinking of strength and conditioning coaches and I'm certainly thinking of sports scientists and how, I mean, certainly in the world of sports science, a lot of the work is data driven. Uh, and and uh, and um, a lot of sports scientists, as a consequence, because of their education and because of perhaps the, the characteristics that le- lent them towards the kind of education that sports science gives you. Um, a lot of sports scientists love love numbers. They love boxes. They love neat things, and <clears throat> they don't necessarily love chaos. And they don't necessarily love, they love quantitative stuff that not necessarily qualitative stuff. And again, that actually falls in that personality trait of conscientiousness. You know, we love, it's conscientiousness is actually split into two, industriousness and orderliness. And what I've found in the past, especially with sports scientists, is that they tend to be quite orderly. Again, numbers, drills, neatness. Uh, what does this number say about somebody? And, 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 and they love boxing people uh, or putting people into boxes, by and large. And I, I don't want to categorize everybody. So please excuse me. Hopefully I'm not offending anybody. But, but I don't mean to th- for this to be an offense because it's not an offense because that's who they are and how they are. And actually, that's where they're very, very helpful is actually they can help um, football coaches, for example, um, understand data a lot better they can help football coaches be a lot more orderly when it comes to this stuff it's just recognizing that there's a time to come away from that orderliness there's a time to come away from the neatness in the box and 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 think a little bit a bit more about the holistic side of a human being and perhaps the complex nature of human beings and the things that underpin behavior rather than looking at the behavior and the data itself um so it's it's just understanding who we are and how that impacts how we go about our day-to-day things in the gym and on the pitch as SNCs, as sports scientists and how that can hinder us how that hinders how it influences our communication how it influences our relationships how it influences what we do and how we go about what we do and just try to be a little bit more flexible along that continuum you know, perhaps turn down the volume of that conscientiousness at times. Um, that's a very, very brief generic introduction to that. So I would always suggest that SNCs and sports scientists just delve a little bit into personality science. That can be useful. Awesome. And we talk, we've talked loads about um, two areas you just mentioned then, communication and building relationships. And they're absolutely huge when you work with any athlete, aren't they? But um, football definitely is just one of is another one of those um scenarios where it's so important because we're dealing with humans aren't we we're dealing with humans that play football uh, look ab- ab- absolutely absolutely and, and and that's where um you know maybe maybe what i could offer offer here is uh sometimes to to where your expertise likely uh, in the gym uh, or on the pitch. I, I think that, you know, us in the world, whether it's in sports psychology, sports science, SNC, is we have a lot of knowledge. You know, we've done our degrees, we've done our postgrads, um, we've been supervised, you know, we've spent a lot of money on courses, we've spent a lot of time reading our books, studying our material. We have a lot of information up there. And sometimes we've got to be a, bit, a little bit careful with that. Um, sometimes we've got to take a step back when we've got let's say a player in front of us, perhaps a player who's being a little bit resistant, perhaps a player who uh, at the end of the day, this player sees the world through their eyes and perhaps is pushing back a little bit. And it, it's, 
we have a great saying in sports psychology or psychology in general, uh, insistence can lead to resistance. And so relationships are often built rather than I have a lot of expertise, I'm going to give you this expertise. Come on, you've got to trust me. I've got all this education. Sometimes it's useful to see the player as the expert. The player is him. We've got to be a little bit more player-centered than coach-driven on occasion. I'm not saying player-driven. I'm saying player-centered. So sometimes it's important for us to take a step back. If we want to build relationships, it's empathizing with the player's point of view. It's asking open-ended questions. Another term for that um, is divergent questions. Um, Just exploring a little bit about how that player sees the world, you know, why they see it that way, you know, how they like to go about certain things, just probing a little bit and then maybe even allowing them to do that or just, you know, just saying, okay, go ahead and do that. Do you mind if I observe? Do you mind if I monitor that? And then from that observation and monitoring, it might give you an opportunity to make some suggestions, not necessarily just to tell somebody what to do, but just make some suggestions, make some choice. There's some great work here from a researcher called Rebecca Luthwaite. Um, And she talks about the power of giving athletes choice rather than this is what you must do. It can be, well, have you tried A? Or perhaps an alternative option is to try B. Perhaps an alternative uh, way to go about things in the gym, an alternative, and I'm not an expert in the gym, as you'll, as you'll discover from my language, but perhaps an alternative way to do it is, is, is option B. You've got option A and what's your, option B. What, what might suit you there? So you're giving an athlete a little bit of autonomy there. Choice is really important. So let's think about some of these things here. Empathy, Okay. I, I see that. I understand why you're going about things like that. Okay. I, I, I get that. Open-ended questions. Try to understand their world. Making suggestions or, or sorry, excuse me, monitoring. Just, just being involved, being involved and being curious when you're involved. And tapping into an athlete or a player's curiosity by, by p- perhaps providing questions. Sorry, I beg your pardon, providing suggestions, providing suggestions, option A, option B. I think sometimes that's a great way to establish relationships rather than just diving in saying, I've got all this knowledge in my head. Here's ideas. Here's some ideas. And in your world, it's like, this just makes complete sense. This is logical. (laughs) But we've got to remember that's not probably the logical side of the brain. That frontal cortex probably isn't the side of the brain that we want to necessarily communicate with. We've got to recognize that perhaps the athlete in front of us is wired up in a different way based on their experiences, based on previous coaching advice, based on how they see the world, based on their personality, Mm -hmm. based on their personality, taking that into consideration and just starting a negotiation. I love this. I've started more and more. um, I've started to use the word negotiation. I think coaching, whether you're a psychological coach or an S&C coach or a sports science coach or or an actual football coach, I think negotiation is so important rather than just instruction, instruction, instruction. I'm the boss. I'm the boss. I'm the boss. And don't get me wrong. There's a time for that authoritarian approach. You know, there's a time for that, but maybe it's a bit more about a negotiation, about a co-creation. It's about appreciating the player's worldview, values, personality, previous experiences, thoughts, feelings, emotions, etc., and coming on board with them 
rather than them coming on board with you. I love that. I think that's that's great. And a couple of things that, that jump out to me was where you talked about the, um, the, I think you used the phrase, insistence can lead to resistance. And so many coaches, and I think sometimes coaches have to do this a little bit to learn, go into a program. Like you said, you made me laugh when you said it, is that we have like a program drum up, right, I've got it. This is the answer. This is, this is how I'm going to create footballers. And we'll try and put it into place and then we'll hit loads of resistance. And I think coaches have to do that because they have to learn from, from doing that as well. Um, and then the negotiation, I think, is, is another great point because, like you said, we don't want to make it player-led because then, then the, the player has all the power. But at the same time, I was trying to think of like real-life situations where we might work with players, then they might move on to a different club. Now, if we can empower them with actually this is how you're best off preparing try like you you said try this exercise over this exercise whatever it is we can be so impactful with those players can't we well i think what you're doing you're not only giving them choice but you're empowering them with the 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 capacity to critically think Mm. and quite often players are scared of that and 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 this is why some players will always push back and go well just tell me what to do yeah And, and that's an interesting how would you tug of, not tug of war, but this is where I think as a coach, you've got to be quite nimble. And again, when I say coach, I'm saying S&C coach, sports scientist uh, coach. Uh, I think you've got to be quite nimble between if there's a, if there's a continuum, if I can ask people listening into consider a continuum from being player driven to player centered to coach driven, I think you can go up and down that line. You know, I'm not a big fan of, I must be coach driven. I must be, uh, player centered i must be player driven it's like let's go up and down that line and as you said at the beginning of your career you might be more towards the coach driven because you just don't have the knowledge Mm -hmm. you just don't have all those experiences and experience time knowledge times knowledge uh to be able to give you uh, a, 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 a capacity to deal with the context in a given moment in a very robust manner you know, and as you go on in your career and you, you acquire more knowledge and you acquire more experience, you can be much more, you learn to be much more robust because you've seen more situations, you've seen more contexts, you've experienced more individual challenges, you've been pushed back, you've been shouted at, you've been told to F off, you've been uh, included, incorporated, you've been successful, you've failed miserably and you've had all these experiences uh, and, and you've acquired these knowledge on all these courses and so suddenly your mind is quite nimble now and you can go over here and you can go over there and you can go up there and you can go down there and you can go to player driven you can go to coach driven you can go to player centered and you've you've perhaps done a few psych things read a few psych books and you've learned about empathy and compassion and you've learned about open-ended questions and all the stuff and and choice and all these things and uh, and that's where you can be quite robust you know so um um, I've, I've kind of lost my train of thought in terms of what you said towards the end. You have some rich things, so sorry about that. But I, I think I think you're definitely going to start your career being quite coach coach driven, and then you're then you can start to be quite nimble. Uh, I think, and and that's it. You said about you know players come to you, players come to you with history, and that's a classic. Uh, you know, really really big thing going on in our industry at the moment is the incorporation of psychologically informed environments. We're trying to incorporate psychologically informed environments. Think about this PIE, 
P for psychologically, I for informed, E for environments. And I think you can have a pie, P-I-E, a pie in a gym. Mm. You can have a pie within your sports science um, uh, department. And what a pie is, again, coming back to this notion of a pie appreciates individual difference. It appreciates that players have history. They would have had past SNC experiences, past sports science experiences. They have thoughts, they have feelings, they have differing personalities. And, and you've got to be nimble enough to be able to do that. And that, that, that does happen over time. Um, so hopefully that, that puts a bit more meat on the bone there. I'm sure you've taken loads from the first part of this podcast, as I did, and I hope you're enjoying it so far. But I just wanted to give a quick update on our online community because I'm delighted to have added another super webinar to the community, this time from Head of Academy Sports Science at Celtic and previous podcast guest as well, Oliver Morgan. Oliver's added a webinar for us on long-term athlete development and creating a successful academy culture. So he talks about what uh, long-term athlete development is, um, why it's important. He then also talks about all the factors around creating a successful culture and also how the two link in together. So it's a, it's a top, top webinar and something that I do recommend anyone working in academy football or with academy players or youth players, I recommend that you go and check it out because it's absolutely quality. Really, really good webinar by, by Oliver Morgan. And if you've ever heard Oliver speak before or listened to his podcast, um, you'll know about his his experience and his knowledge. And he's, he was previously at Liverpool, so he's got some great clubs on his CV. Um, so you can go and check it out. It's now available on our online community. If you're a member, just go on. Uh, log in and go onto the video library section. You'll be able to watch the full webinar there um, as well as all previous webinars. If you're not a member, you can get a free month on the community by going to footballfitfed.com. Click the community tab at the top. If you register there on the community, we'll get one month free. And then after that, it is only £4.99 per month. So go and check it out. Um, you can watch the webinar. If you sign up to the community, you also get access. There's over 30 hours now of webinars and presentations available. Some unbelievable content on there. Um, so go and check it out, footballfitfed.com. Click the community tab. If you're a member, just sign in. If you're not a member, register there, get your free month and go and check it out. Here's part two of the podcast with Dan. Definitely. And that comes down to, again, something we spoke about a lot is managing the individual within the team environment, doesn't it? Like we've got however many individuals, 20, 30 individuals, but we're dealing with a team. And that's where that's so important, isn't it? Which is brutally hard. I mean, let me give you that. Let me give you some experiences I've had when I've worked in medical departments who have coexisted, obviously, with SNC and sports science. I mean, uh, it strikes me and you can come back and tell me if I'm wrong. It strikes me that all footballers seem to dislike prehab. Right. So would that be that would that be the right term where they're where, where they're doing some or, or, where they're kind of warming up in a gym area before they go training? Yeah. That seems to be something that a lot of players hate. And, and I, 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 I understand that it really annoys or frustrates um, physios, let's say, and S&Cs, because it's like, this is important. 
Um, this is an injury prevention. And I, and, I, and I think there's lots of different directions we can go. And I can think of a medical department I worked in recently and the, the head of the medical head of medical was very much interested in investing in education, upskilling players, educating players to understand, you know, why this is, why this is important. I'd probably add to that in terms of empathy and in terms of open-ended questioning is just going, okay, I understand why you might consider this to be a frustration and annoyance. You come in, you're having breakfast, you know, you're chatting with your mates, you want to go out there and you want to kick a ball around, you want to learn, you know, going into the gym, doing your, your, your prehab stuff feels a little bit distant from playing the game. This all feels a bit new or whatever it feels like. I, I get that. I get that. You know, t- you know, tell tell me why you dislike it. Tell me what it is you, you're not so sure about. You know, tell me what, what isn't quite connecting here with you. And just genuinely being curious, listening, and then striving to take them down a path of negotiation. You know, where is there a point of give and take here? If there's not, there's not. If the team have to do it, they have to do it. But Mm. is there a point of negotiation? You know, where is the misunderstanding? You know, what is it that they're seeing in their world that's not quite connecting up? So for me, it's having the capacity as a physio and SNC and a sports scientist to ask those, to empathize, to ask those questions, to um, get information from the player and then slowly chip away at helping them understand why this might be important uh, and, and why there might be better ways of doing this uh, and what that looks like uh, and then supporting them in that process. So I, 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 th- I think that's really important. I definitely, yeah, definitely agree. Um, I think it's, it's really fascinating, actually, some of the stuff we've already spoke about, because I was thinking at the start of the episode, like, if we turn around to a lot of sports scientists and SNC coaches and said, like, what's your psychological program with players or your approach with players? They, they might not be able to answer that question. But then going into some of the stuff you've already spoke about and the conversations and the sort of negotiation and things like that, a lot of coaches will be doing something like that already, won't they? So psychology in our roles and you mentioned it at the start like it's it's key isn't it and whether we know it or not we we do we're um working psychologically with players as well as physically uh look yes a hundred percent and 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 so this could take us off into an uh, you know down an interesting path because everything we're talking about i mean number one first and foremost there, there's people skills you know, and there's definitely SNCs and, and and sports scientists who are just good at this anyway, because they're good people and they're good at communication. And it might be that a psychologist can add a little bit of value by um, introducing uh, an SNC and a sports scientist or any kind of coach to a framework. You know, so the empathy and the open-ended questions and reflection and and suggestion, these are very much a part of solution-focused brief therapy or very much a part of motivational interviewing. And actually on the basis of solution-focused brief therapy, I might start introducing uh, coaches to something like scaling. You know, if an athlete says, I don't feel like coming, you know, I'm not feeling confident right now. You know, I think quite often what happens there is, even with a football coach, but certainly with a physio and SNC and a sports scientist, 
then they don't always have the tools to be able to deal with that conversation. And a tool like scaling from SFBT, solution focused breathe therapy, can be really useful there. So what scaling is, is, okay, right, I hear you're not very confident right now. Okay, I get that. On a scale of one to 10, with 10 being as confident as you can possibly be, one being not confident at all, where are you right now? Where are you right now? And that footballer might be standing in front of you and they might say, well, not very good at the moment. Yeah, down at four. And part of scaling is to help somebody reframe the situation. So you, you might then respond by going, okay, four, why as high as four? Why not three or two? What's been going on that's been going quite well that's enabled you to be at four? So suddenly you can reframe that and the player might go, well, you know, I had a half decent game the other day and it was, it was all right. And, 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 you know, I, I, I had an assist, but the rest was rubbish, but I did have that. Oh yeah, I saw that assist. That was really good. You know, and I did think you had some good moments there. So you're just trying to edge them towards seeing four as actually not as, as half decent. And then you can start to explore what does five look like? What does six look like? How can I help you nudge up to five and six? What can I do to be a part of this? Could we go to the coaching staff or one person, a trusted person in the coaching staff and start to consider what we can do to nudge you up to five and six? So you can, real, you can get a real community feel there, a real integrated approach between you know, yourself, the athlete and the coaching staff when you use something like scaling. I'm using it all the time. Hmm. And that's something you can use in the gym. You know, that's something you can just have use with a casual conversation coming off the pitch with a player who looks a bit down, scaling. So, so we're bringing in all these neat little psychological tools into our everyday S&C role, into our everyday sports science role. I think that's so, so important. That's why it's important to, you know, whether it's reading some of these books around this area or whether it's having a sports psych on site, if you're lucky to have a sports psych on site. But another thing to say here, um, Ben, is, you know, if we, the, the one thing I would add, and for all those, you know, uh, SNCs and sports scientists working, working at clubs, this is where I'm now going to get a bit vociferous. This is where I'm now going to strong arm you a little bit here. Something I've worked for 15 years in, in, in the football industry. And um, this is a football based podcast, isn't it? It is. It is. Yes. Thank you. I do so many, Ben. I sometimes forget which ones I'm on. So I do apologize. Very embarrassing moment for me. So, yeah. So I'll lean towards the football here. But, you know, I say this, it could be in basketball. It could be in golf. It could be in tennis. It could be in uh, rugby, for instance, you know, and I've experienced a lack of this in rugby. Absolutely. I'm going to be very strong here, so please excuse me. It absolutely perplexes me that more footballers don't have a mental framework to the mental side of their game. I, it absolutely defeats me that when I sit down with players, and I'm very honoured to be able to sit down with some of the finest players in the world, some very good Premier League players, some very good players globally. And I don't say that to impress somebody. I say this to impress upon people listening in. I sit down with very good players and never, ever, ever, ever is a player able to articulate what they're trying to achieve mentally on the pitch. Mm. Ever. Now, and, and to me, that's not good enough. Now, I understand that there are some players who have so much skill in their feet that they can get away with it more often than not, but not all the time. I understand that there are some players who have 
a capacity towards mental skill, um, irrespective of not having that framework. I understand that. Fine. But they're not great all the time. I don't get it. And somebody needs to help me get it. And nobody has so far in any conversation I have. I don't get how a player at, let's say, the Premier League, the Championship, at any level, where it's an adult elite level and developing elite level, where they're taking this seriously, can't articulate what they're trying to achieve mentally on the pitch. That to me is unacceptable. And yet I sit down with player and tumbleweed floats across the floor. It is dead silence. What are you trying to achieve mentally? They can't tell me. And that is just simply unacceptable. Mm. Because if we're in the business of competitiveness, we're in the business of high performance under pressure, consistent high performance under pressure, we need to be better because what you can damn well guarantee is that whilst football works in seconds, the brain and the nervous system works in milliseconds. It trumps football for, for speed every single time. And I can guarantee you that we are designed as human beings. And we know this from evolutionary psychology. We know this from developmental psychology. We know this from personality psychology in time. So if you're an S&C coach, if you're a sports scientist working at a football club and you're watching your players play there on a Saturday um, and you're watching them play. I guarantee you their brain and nervous system is working milliseconds, scanning for threats, throwing out thoughts and feelings all the time, judging what's going on around them, judging what's going on around them. And they need to have the capacity to deal with that. You know, and what we also know, what we can also pretty safely say is our brain and our nervous system tends towards the negative. It loves to bookmark failure. Mm. Okay, so quite often uh, we, we, we tend towards a threat response rather than a challenge response on game day. And we need to be able to help players have a, have a challenge response. We need to be able to help them compete with confidence, with a positive intent. Every single action executed on the front foot rather than the back foot, with freedom rather than with fear, to win rather than not to lose, executed with confidence. We need to be able to help players to pay attention on the pitch, to deal with distractions quickly. Because so many goals, in, goals go in against us because of being distracted. And then subsequently, because of that distraction, we find ourselves out of position, making slower decisions, a lack of awareness, seeing the runners, tracking runners, knowing where our teammates are, a failure to close down the space, to anticipate quickly. And that's all to do with attention. It's also, also to do with intensity, where we drop down in intensity because of flatness, because of lethargy. How many players say to me, Dan, I just wasn't feeling it today in the warm-up. Mm. I just wasn't feeling it today in the warm-up. I just wasn't there. Well, not good enough. Not good enough. Mm. What? And as a club, we can't help players with that. As a club, we don't have players who have a mental framework to help them deal with that. We're going to accept that. Not acceptable. And then it could be the other way around where we have players who come out of their intent. They become too intense, overly aroused, anxious, frustrated, angry. Those kind of emotions that deal with, that lend to an over arousal where they don't deal with that in the moment. Intensity, attention, intent, positive intent. Those three things. And having the capacity to get into your optimal mindset. This has to happen. So there's that. 
every single player needs a mental framework in my opinion and then we need a psychologically informed environments that help our players express vulnerability and give them the capacity the psychological safety to express vulnerability and share those mental frameworks it belies belief I told you i was going to be strong here mm-hmm. it belies belief it belies belief that we're still in an era of man up mm-hmm. it belies belief and i know that doesn't happen everywhere it belies belief that players aren't given the psychological safety the space to express vulnerability somewhere with someone with some people in some capacity whether that's in bigger groups or in small groups and then it belies belief that if we don't have we don't have these mental frameworks anyway but if we did we need to share those we need to share those and those need to be shared and then they need to be taken out onto the pitch Mm. and delivered in our small-sided game, our keep balls, our rondos, our 11v11s, our 7v7s, our passing with progression drills. We need to be sharing those. This rondo needs to be based around everybody, you know, sharing their mental frameworks, helping each other, helping each other. You know, we need to have better conversations there. Coaches need to be helping each other. S&Cs need to be helping. You know, you want players walking in, sharing their mental frameworks with S&Cs into the gym and, that's part of their sets. That's part of their activities in the gym. You know, we need sports scientists having better knowledge about those mental frameworks because those mental frameworks into, um, underpin or um, influence is the word I'm looking for there, the data that's coming yeah. back. So mental frameworks individually shared space for vulnerability, absolutely crucial. Sorry, I went off on one there. <laughs> no, that was great. That was great. And it ties into something I was going to ask. And to give a little bit of context on this, um, a previous guest, and I referenced this in a, in a recent episode, Gary Kinnean, um, mentioned about sports scientists, S&C coaches, having the first contact with players a lot of the time. So if it's a training session, a lot of the time they'll go out with S&C sports scientists first and do the warm-up, and it might be the same on a game day as well. So in terms of setting the tone of a session and getting players in the right mindset and in like avoiding any complacency and, and setting the wrong tone, what do we need to be wary of in that, in that situation? I, I think it's a really good question. And I think the very first thing to say, if we were to, to strip things back, I mean, I know Gary's a good mate of mine and I, you know, he's absolutely spot on. And I think that, SNCs and sports scientists needs to, need to demand for themselves and coaches need to demand of SNCs and sports scientists the capacity to set the tone. So it's how do we set the tone? You know, and if we're talking about setting the tone, let, let's operationalize that in terms of mental skills. That I suppose is the intensity. So it's turning up the volume of intensity. It's giving players the opportunity to execute with a, a, a positive intent. And it's helping them turn up the volume of intent of attention, okay, and to deal with distraction. But I think I come back to intensity is really, really important here. You know, and and SNC coaches and sports scientists can do this clearly via their voice, which they do anyway. But it's having a knowledge of those frameworks that's important. So let let me give you 
I think one of the challenges with this question is it's difficult to answer without having specific mental skills mm. in on the act here. And I, I would always say when I work with players and I work with um, with departments and I and, and this is where the sharing comes in. I think that players need a couple of keywords, action based words, adjectives, essentially. Adjectives are really important. Alert, alive, lively, relentless, dominant, strong, upbeat, athletic, sharp, belief, confidence, etc. All these words can be used as an adjective, uh, a description of the noun. Okay, so a noun could be to move. How do you want to move? I want to move sharp and lively. I want to move sharp and alert. When I work with players, I tend to help them um, create a couple of adjective action adjectives, action-based words that they can say to themselves when they're warming up. Mm-hmm. So if a player has sharp and alert, come on, I'm going to warm up sharp and alert here, sharp and alert. And, and a, a coach next to the, 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 the pitch can say, I want to see sharp and alert. I want to see sharp and alert. Come on, Johnny. I want to see, see sharp and alert. Come on, Mary. I want to see sharp and alert here. You know, you said sharp and alert. You've asked me to remind you, come on, show me sharp and alert. So you can help that player set the tone. Now the player themselves, the players themselves have to come up with those words. And it's important to remind them of those words. Come on. I want to see this warm up in the, in the style of these words here. I want to see sharp and alert. That's really, really important in that way you're individualizing it in Mm. that way you're individualizing it you know and 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 i think another thing there is where we need to be very very um mindful of i as coach by the side of the pitch drive players through loud a loud voice energized voice come on work 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 come on come on the problem with that is i'm replacing their self-talk I'm doing the energy for them. It's a very interesting dynamic. I'm always, I know we can't do this all the time, but when I've had conversations with sports scientists who will warm players up, I've said, have you ever, I've often explored this idea, have you ever thought of negotiating with players around coaches and sports scientists turning down the volume of their voice so that the players themselves can turn up the volume of their self-talk and mm. up the volume of their own communication. Because I always see the SNC and the sports scientists and the coaches, the football coaches doing the work for the player in terms of self-talk, in terms of interpersonal communication. So I think you can experiment. You wouldn't do it every day, but you can turn down the volume of that. And that's where you can take the key words and you can get the players reminding each other of their key words. Come on, John, I want you to be alert and alive. Come on, you like to be athletic. Show me athletic. Show me athletic. Why would it, it could be the coach doing that, but it could be your, friend, your teammates doing that. And that comes back to your shared mental model. So I completely agree with Gary. How that's done is a little bit more intricate than simply the coach standing by the side of the pitch and driving the players. Mm-hmm. You can do that. And that's what is done so far. I'm going to make a bold statement here. Not good enough. Mm. Not good enough. There needs to be, you need to help players have the capacity to be mentally skillful. And when you drive them, you're taking away their ability to be mentally skillful using their self-talk. 
using things like adjectives as keywords. A final thing to say here, a final way is to drive through body language. As old as time itself in sport, I understand that. But increasingly, there's more and more evidence coming out about this notion of embodied cognition. Embodied cognition, cognition mental process, embodied the embodiment of mental process, embodied cognition. More and more evidence that our, our, our mental processes are experienced through our bodies. And as much as our brain, our mind affects our body, so our body affects our mind. So insisting on great body, body language is really important. Um, I think you can do that as well. That's really important. And the word, work of Amy Cuddy that, with her power posing that for a few years was chastised, you know, how you hold yourself increases, you know, you, how, you hold yourself in a good posture. That it potentially increases your volume of testosterone through your body. Okay. And that increases your potentially increases your capacity to perform possibly, possibly that's been chastised for a few years, but in the last couple of years, she's pushed back, pushed back and um, found more evidence related to that effect. So I think great body language influences testosterone and feelings of power and subsequently potentially better performance so i think body language can can matter so in summary body language maybe turning down the volume of your communication so you turn up the volume of the communicate of self-talk and the communication between players and having little mental skills like keywords adjective adjectives as action-based words that players can draw upon and drive and use to drive themselves, use to drive great, great little pictures in their head that influence behavior. Those are the kind of things I would say. I think that's so relatable for coaches because we've all fallen into the trap of, and I, I relate it to the warm up again, of doing a warm up and verbally just, well, not stopping, just constantly speaking and just filling the silence, haven't we? Just talking for the sake of talking. And like you say, not not repeating any sort of adjectives, just using all sorts of different ones. So I think I think that's a great point. That really makes sense to me is that you have a couple that you, you drill home, but you don't overcoach as well because you, you need players to mentally get ready themselves, don't you? Because all they're going to do is go out onto the pitch and then they're, they're essentially by themselves to a, to a certain degree. Well, I'd say, Ben, you, what you need, what, you, what would be useful... I try to avoid shoulds and needs and, and but what, what would be useful is if the player if you help the player come up with their own adjectives because that's meaningful to them and the one way to do that is to ask them about them at the best yeah. if you're playing at your best what does that look like what does that feel like what are you experiencing what do others see provide a few adjectives that can then um, help them consider themselves at their best from an adjective point of view. Again, I'm going to come back here with sharp, alert, alive, lively, relentless, dominant, cool, calm, relaxed, focused. Everyone's different. Mm. So the problem with having your own adjectives, your own action-based words as a coach, is that you're just giving them what you think would be good. Whereas for some, Virgil van Dyke 
is going to be different from, let's say, a John Terry. I know John Terry's retired now, but I'm, I'm trying to think of two opposite players. That I'm sure there's better examples that people would be screaming at the screen now, think, uh, you know, listening to me. But, you know, Virgil van Dijk, you know, I've got a player I work with who has what I call a game face, which is kind of what we're talking about, uh, cool, calm van Dijk, cool, calm van Dijk. I've got another player who plays, but so this player's player plays in the Premier League. I've got another player I'm working with who has a game face of positive energy Terry, positive mm. energy energy Terry. And those guys just work differently. You know, that maybe their nervous system works differently. Maybe they see the world differently. Maybe personality characteristics are different. Maybe their schematic of how to compete is different. How they experience the world through their body is different. You know. So if you're there at the side of the side of pitch screaming, come on, sharp, sharp, come on, work, work, you know, and you've got cool, calm Van Dyke there, you've got to recognize, I know I'm bringing complexity in here, but that might not be useful mm. for cool, calm Van Dyke. And, and, and so we're almost venturing into motivational aspects here and, you know, you know, how, how, how people uh, motivate themselves, you know, you know, in, in unique and individual specific ways. Brilliant. No, I think that's top. And I wanted to, just to switch gears a little bit, I wanted to um, touch on something you mentioned a little bit ago, which was failure. And I don't mean to finish on a, on a negative at all, but I, I wanted to get your input on this because in terms of failure, I'm thinking, well, a, a number of different scenarios. From a coach point of view, a lot of people that I've spoke to have talked about failure, whether that be trying things with players and it not working out the way they wanted or being in jobs and losing jobs and seeing that as failure, that they end up getting sacked and being unemployed. And I wanted to just get your opinion on like mindset and some things that we could work on. So if we, if we hit a point of losing a job, like what's, what sort of things do we need to be wary of in terms of going again and, and seeing new seeking new opportunities. Yeah, look, I mean, I I think the first thing I'd say there, and and I'd like maybe this might be value add for somebody because I think there's a lot of you know there'll be a lot of things that people say to that question or they'll answer it in a manner that is uh, answered in a particular in a in a in a traditional style of failure is great and growth from failure etc cetera, etc. Cetera. All that is true. and But the first thing I'd say as a psychologist is give yourself permission to be damn pissed off. Mm. Give yourself permission to, to mourn, essentially. And I know mourning sounds like quite a strong uh, term, but, you know, I've, my understanding is that there's, there's good evidence to suggest that our um, anxiety pathways in our nervous system are, are strongly linked with our pain pathways. Uh, or I, I beg your pardon, our rejection pathways, being socially rejected, because ultimately being sacked is 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 being or let go is is um, or failing at something, even as minute as just a bad session, and a player having a, a dig at you, is social rejection essentially, and the pathways related to social rejection, my understanding is that they relate to pain and it hurts and in my opinion what we don't necessarily want to do is suppress that pain um so give yourself space it's okay to feel down despondent it's okay to feel 
flat as a consequence of, of re rejection. That's okay. How long somebody feels that way, um, you know, might be individually specific. It might be contextual. Um, I've, I've been let go of positions and, you know, what, you know, is a, a point of vulnerability here. I lost one position a few years ago and I still have some sleepless nights and I, and I still have, uh, uh, some when I say sleepless nights, I'm still tossing, tossing and turning and thinking of, wow, I can't believe that happened and that happened. And I felt I was unfairly treated there. And I sort of understand what happened there. And I didn't quite do it right there. And so we're human beings. Mm. And there will be some people who go, no, Dan, you're talking rubbish. Just move on straight away. And that's fine. That's their prerogative to, to, to think like that or be like that. That's fine. But I don't think one should castigate any other way. I would say with that, as, as part of the healing process, Mind your language. Mind your language. Mind your thinking. How am I thinking about this? As part of your, as part of the healing process, am I catastrophizing? Am I? This is a disaster. This is the end of the world. You know, this this was absolutely outrageous, and this is this was. You know, mind your language. Mind, mind extreme language or black and white thinking. And if I was to practice what I preach, anything that I've lost or I've failed, what I'm striving to do, and do I do it brilliantly all the time? Absolutely not. What I'm striving to do is see the other person's viewpoint or the organization's viewpoint or the team's viewpoint or the manager or the coach's viewpoint. So, so as, as part of turning down a volume of, 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 of pain, I'm, I'm perhaps trying to see the 360, I'm minding my language, I'm trying to see the 360 degree view. And of course, that classic of learning from it, I'm, I'm as part of seeing the 360 degree view, I, I'm looking at what, what went wrong and what was my part in that? What went right and what can I build from? I'm, I, I'm trying to get feedback if I can, where I can, and that's not always possible. I know. Um, and sometimes you don't ask, you know, get the truth from, from, from people. Um, and then ultimately it's, it, it is time to, to move forward and look for, for the next opportunity. And, you know, for me there, again, I think it's wrapped up in language, sitting down with a pen and a bit of paper, what next? And, and starting to brainstorm what next looks like based on what you've learned based on what you've experienced, based on where you'd like to go next. I think all those things are thrown in together and you might take some notes or you might just think it through and, and move on to, on to the next thing. Um, if we're talking about losing a position, if we're just talking about a little bit of failure as a consequence of bad feedback, um, again, you might do something similar. Um, but I suppose the last thing to say here is this is where if we can go up and down that line of player-led, player-centered, coach-driven, coach-led, if we go up and down and we've got more of a negotiation, more of a co-creation, and the player's more involved, then it becomes much more difficult for the player to say, well, this is disgraceful, this is awful, this doesn't work for me, um, because that player is part of that process. Mm. So then it's again, it's a, it's a, it's a conversation, a robust conversation around, okay, well, you were part of the process here. So um, can we, can we talk a little bit about what you've experienced there and what I'm doing that's not leading you 
helping you have that optimal experience. It's just seeking to understand quite a lot of the time and then seeking to find ways to move forward. Brilliant. I could keep going on this stuff all day, but I, I really appreciate your time, Dan, and thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Um, if people want to follow your work, I'm sure a lot are already, um, including the podcast, but where's the best place? Where would you direct them? Um, website is danabrahams.com, danabrahams.com. Um, and I'm always looking, I'm always interested in engaging in people and, and talking and looking for, you know, for new opportunities and consultancy positions. I can be found, I can be emailed at dan at danabrahams.com. Uh, I throw you a plethora of social media accounts. <laughs> uh, the football one, I'll give you the football one for Twitter is at danabraham77. Um, the, and at sports psych show is the sports psych show podcast. And obviously just Google sports psych show, um, to find that, um, at Dan Abraham soccer on Facebook, my Facebook page, you can find me on LinkedIn, Dan Abraham. So I'm posting a little, um, uh, article each day on, on LinkedIn and Facebook and at Dan Abraham's sport for Instagram. Um, I think that's it. I think that's me. Perfect. Well, I really appreciate you giving up your time, Dan. That's been brilliant. And I hope all the listeners have took plenty from it, as I have. Um, but thank you very much for coming on. Thank you, sir. Enjoyed it. Thanks, Ben. Thanks a lot. Big thank you for listening to episode 109 of the Football Fitness Federation podcast with Dan. It was great to have him on. Um, someone whose work I follow for a while now and like I said listen to some of his podcasts and I always take loads away from hearing him speak so it was great to have him on the podcast in terms of takeaways on this one I know that I say this a lot but it was really hard to narrow it down but some of the main ones for me were where he talked about insistence can lead to resistance so if we and this is something that we've touched on before in the podcast if we push our our thoughts our philosophies too hard onto players that can lead to resistance so and I'm sure that's something that a lot of people have experienced as well so that I think that was a great point by Dan the next one was where we spoke about negotiation in coaching and we spoke about player-led um, sessions and programs as well um, and I think that sort of ties in with the first point is that if we work with players, we find out their experiences and um, we can work with them to get the most out of a programme, which ties perfectly into the next point, which being from Wigan, the pie analogy that had to stand out for me. Um, anyone that doesn't know, any any listeners in around the world that are not quite sure about Wigan, Wigan is well known for its pies. Um, so Dan referenced the pie analogy, which was psychology, uh, psychological informed environment so basically he was talking about um, the pie analogy appreciating individuals differences so individuals differences on experience so some players might have had better experiences on sports science or the gym or snc and some um some that might have been good that might have been bad that might have been indifferent but we need to recognize that every player's experiences are slightly different and then we need to know how we then work and approach that player. So I think they were some of my biggest ones. I also took um, another key point was where he, he spoke about using adjectives and some key words. So I think he spoke about having two key words in a session. 
and not overcoaching, um, using those keywords, and then we can individualize those with players as well. So that was another big takeaway for me. And to be honest, I could have kept going with takeaways on this one. There was loads, um, but I think they were some of the key ones that stood out. But I'd love to hear yours because I'm sure there was plenty on this one as well. And I'm going to have a listen back as well because I'm sure there's some that I missed along the way when I was chatting with Dan. So reach out, drop us a message. You can message us, DM us, let us know what your takeaways were or share the show on Twitter, Instagram, on your stories and tag us in and let us know on there what your takeaways were. Give us a little post on what they were or you can drop us an email, mail at footballfitfed.com. But massive thank you again for, to Dan for coming on and giving up his time. Huge thank you again for all you guys for listening. And I'll speak to you again next week in a big show um, with a, a guest that's been on before. And he's actually completing their hat trick on the Football Fitness Federation podcast. But another unbelievable show. And I'll speak to you again next week in episode 110.